We have already been welcomed by the Father, who is our host for the weekend here in this retreat center. And uh, in welcoming you all, I do want to spell out my understanding of what we're all here for and what we're not all here for. We call this a retreat, and uh, I always have a problem with that particular word when I'm uh, helping a group of AEs to do what you've come here to do this weekend. I don't like the word retreat to describe what we're here for, because that's a church word. It's a religion word. People, church members come to a place like this, uh, a retreat center run by priests, monks, like the father who talked to you already. And when they come here to make what they call a retreat, uh, what happens is a, a guy stands up like I'm standing up in front of you here, or nowadays a nun. It could be a nun. And he or she talks to them about all they need to know about uh, how to live and all the rest. And they're looked on as a kind of a guru. They have all the answers and you just sit and listen and carry out what you're told and it's all quite simple. That is not what we are here for. That's not the idea. To begin with, AA is not a religion. AA is a spiritual program for a spiritual disease. And we'll see, hopefully even tonight, what we mean by calling our disease a spiritual disease. But AA is exclusively spirituality. Spirituality is not a part of the program. The whole program is a spiritual program. And what we mean by calling it a spiritual program, hopefully you'll see. Religion is something else again altogether. Religion has to do with, uh, oh, you know, dogmas and ceremonies and worship and all that sort of formalized stuff. That is none of our business whatsoever. So even though I'm a Roman Catholic priest, please believe me, I have that distinction constantly in my mind. And if at any moment you think I'm wandering away from it and I'm started trying to sell you Roman Catholicism, call me on it. <laughs> now, so let me now say, as simply as I can, just what precisely we're all here for. We're here, each one of us, to do two simple things. And as a result of doing these two things, a third thing will come about. What are the two things each of us is here to do? We're here to get in touch, each one of us, with our own real self. The real, real me. To get in touch with the real me. We're here, number two, to get in touch, each one of us, with our higher power. To get in touch with each of these. And then, having gotten in touch, each one of us, with my real self, with my higher power, then we just sit back 
and let those two get in touch with each other. And when that happens, your problems are all solved. I don't solve any problems. Nobody here solves any problems. We are powerless. Powerless not only over alcohol, powerless over the whole business of managing our lives in any way that makes any sort of earthly sense. Nobody solves any problems in this fellowship in the fulfillment of this program. They are solved for us by our higher power when the real me gets in touch with my higher power. But really gets in touch with each of these. Now I want to say what I mean by getting in touch with my real self. Getting in touch with my higher power. What does that mean? It means being touched. Being touched. Being moved. Did you ever hear somebody say about a, a story they read or a movie they saw? It was very touching. You know what they mean by that? They were moved by it. Emotionally moved. Affected by it. It's the difference between being aware of somebody or something, being aware of something only with my mind, and being aware of it with my guts, with my heart. Suppose somebody walked in here now and said, I've just been on the phone to Ireland. It's raining in Ireland. What would your reaction be? Who cares? What else is new? A item of information and awareness just flits across the surface of your mind and then leaves not a ripple. But suppose somebody came in here and said, and God forbid, suppose they said, I've just been listening to the the news. The president has been assassinated. He's dead. I don't think, whatever our politics may be, I don't honestly think we would shrug our shoulders and say, who cares? Looking at some of you, I can (coughs) bet that you do remember a moment when somebody did say just that to you. And you remember what happened when you heard it. You were flabbergasted. You were moved to your depths. You nearly had to go to the bathroom. 
And you said, oh my God, no. There's all the difference in the world between being made aware of something just with my mind and being aware of something with my guts so that my heart beats faster. This is what I mean by getting in touch with. Being touched, affected by awareness of my higher power. Awareness of my own real self. Maybe you may remember when you were teenagers or in high school, God knows when. I don't know when these kind of things happen in America. But maybe there was a girl. And you thought, oh God, she's the bee's knees. Oh. But you were too shy to let her know what you were feeling. And then suppose some third party came along and said, hey, you know so-and-so mentions this girl's name. She's nuts about you. Now, I don't think that that would be an item of information that would skim across the surface of the vine, <laughs> leaving not a ripple. <laughs> ah, no. Life could never be the same. This is the meaning of being touched by an awareness. You can be touched in two opposite ways. You can be touched in a way that finds you saying to yourself, Oh, goody, 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 how lucky can you be? You can be touched by finding yourself saying something like, Oh my God, this is awful. My God, this is dreadful. This is shattering. This is being touched. Getting in touch with being touched by. This is what you are here for, each one of you. Nobody can do it for you. And you can sit there throughout this whole weekend, listen to what's being said by me, by those around you in sharing or whatever, and be totally, totally untouched by it all. Or you can be deeply, deeply moved. And it is entirely and totally up to you. You can spend a weekend listening with one lobe of your brain and with the other lobe a running commentary goes on. Oh yeah, that's, that's original. Hmm. Oh yeah, that, that, that's very logical. Oh, he's a pain in the ass. <laughs> sure. And you can spend your whole time uh, being amused or bored or whatever. Or you can spend it the other way. And it's up to you. You can spend a whole weekend uh, chattering and jabbering about your golf score or whatever the heck. You can just uh, make a, a farce of it. A kind of a, you know, a holiday weekend. A rest, physical rest. I hope you do have a good rest, good rest. It helps to be moved by becoming rested first. 
Now that's what I want to confront you with as your responsibility. A retreat is something that you make. You do it. And nobody can do it for you. Nobody. It does not involve pretending that you have to, well, let people or somebody think I believe in God or something like this. God has nothing to do with it, necessarily, as we'll see. You can fully, fully be surrendered to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and be fully, fully integrated into the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous and not believe in God at all, and the whole thing works. We're here to get in touch with our higher power, who for some need not be a person of God at all, but really in touch with it, really experience and being touched by it, being moved by it, and to get in touch with my real, real self, and maybe finding myself saying, oh, goody, goody, it's great to be me. Or saying the other thing. Oh my God. (laughs) Now then. With that understanding, let's make a little beginning at getting in touch with the real me. I began by telling you my name is Bill and I'm an alcoholic. What do I mean when I tell you that about myself? What are you supposed to mean when you tell each other that about yourself? I'm an alcoholic. What does it mean? That's what I am. I am not a Roman Catholic priest who happens to be an alcoholic. If that's the way I'm thinking, hey, I haven't got the picture. I'm not in touch with me. I am an alcoholic who happens to me any other thing that I happen to be. A golfer, a pilot, a brain surgeon, a big exec, a bum, whatever. I am an alcoholic. That's what I am. That's the reality that's behind this word I when I use the word I. Until I realize what I mean by saying I am an alcoholic. I'm not a person. I me. What do I mean by it? Well, it all begins by imbibing alcohol. If there were no, if there was never such a thing as alcohol, there'd never be such a thing as an alcoholic. Alcohol is a drug. Alcohol is as much a drug as any drug is a drug. It's a mind-altering, mood-altering drug. And so if I'm addicted to alcohol, I am a drug addict. I am as much a drug addict as any drug addict is a drug addict. And if you have a problem about that, that's your problem. I like to talk plain damn English. And if anybody wants to mess it up and confuse us about it all, they're not going to do it on me. So if there's any drug addicts here, 
You're where you belong. Right here, right now. And if anyone wants to tell you otherwise, tell them alcohol is a drug, buddy. You're a drug addict. We're all drug addicts around here. Don't blame me for that. That's the way it is. Okay. We begin by being honest with ourselves. Being a drug addict, or uh, being a drug, mind-altering, mood-altering drug, it goes wherever the bloodstream goes, throughout the whole system. Eventually it goes to the brain. And when it goes to the brain, it does what this drug, alcohol, does to the brain. It makes you drunk. And that's what drunkenness is. It's the drug alcohol doing to the brain what alcohol does to the brain. Makes you drunk. Non-alcoholics get drunk, as well as alcoholics. So, what's the difference? The difference is that alcohol does something to the brain of the non-alcoholic that it does not do to the brain Sorry, alcohol does to the brain of the alcoholic something that it does not do to the brain of the non-alcoholic. And what's that? Now we're going to zero in. What does alcohol do to my brain, has done to my brain, that it has not done to the brain of a non-alcoholic who drinks even regularly and gets drunk regularly? It has damaged it. Altered it. Physically altered the structure of the brain. I'm not a medical man. I'm talking now with the medical men who told me. The brain is your thinking box. And we engage in different kinds of thinking with different areas of the brain. Now there's one area of my brain that I use for thinking about what's good for me or what's injurious for me. An area of my brain that I use for recognizing what's conducive to my well-being, my welfare, and what's the structure of it. It's analogous to instinct in the animal. The animal knows by instinct what's good for it and what's bad for it. We humans learn by trial and error what's good for us, truly, authentically, contributing to our authentic well-being, or destroying our well-being. We find out, we get to know it by trial and error. And the area of the brain that we use for doing that Recognizing what's good for us or what's bad for us is the area of the brain that has become damaged by this drug, alcohol, if I am an alcoholic. So that what has happened is I have become programmed, programmed by alcohol itself to think. Now you have to put think in quotes. To think that it's great to get drunk. The alcoholic thinks, he quotes, that it's great to get drunk. Ha <laughs> ha, that's where it's all at. Even when 
the evidence that's to the contrary has become massive in his life. He still thinks it's great to get drunk. He thinks it's great to get drunk, even though every darn time he does, he makes an absolute jackass of himself. He piles pain, hurt, embarrassment, you name it, again and again and again on top of himself. Why is that saying, ah, it's great to get drunk? I don't know if I'm telling you something you need to be persuaded of. <laughs> All I know is, or I don't know how many times I knelt, worshipping the household gods, you know where, on my knees, with the sweats and the shakes and the heaves, and I was trying to come up, and trying to get out of my nostrils, my ears, my mouth, and all the orifices all at the same time. And there I am saying, oh God, never again, never again. And before the week is out, back at square one. Now there's something weird going on in a person's life, and that kind of thing is going on. People say to you, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Now I know why. I'm programmed to. I don't choose to. I'm simply a puppet on a string. And whatever is, 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 is manipulating the string is doing so very cleverly because it's making me think that I'm doing it because I want to. It's sad. And you know, if what I'm telling you is true, and the whole medical world is unanimous in roaring it at us today that it's true, that the part of my brain that's designed to make me know what's good for me and what's bad for me is giving me reverse signals in all areas of my life. Not just with regard to drinking. I used to think that all kinds of things were good for me. But weren't. And that all kinds of things weren't good for me. That were. Like quitting drinking. Oh, don't be ridiculous. That's absurd. That's the drinking that's keeping me going. I used to think that all kinds of things were good for me that were. I remember many a time saying to myself, and acting on it, saying, ah, you know, uh, my life is a mess, and I, I, I know why. I know what I need to do. I know what would be good for me. I need to change my address. <laughs> Let's get the hell out of here, huh? A favorite one of mine was, what I really need to do is go and see that jackass of a boss of mine and put him right about a few things. <laughs> you know who turned out to be the jackass when I did. But that was my whole life. That was my whole life. 
I know what would be good for me. Now just sit back from this situation for a minute. Now in your sober senses. And have a good look at this phenomenon. Because this is the core of everything that's wrong with me. If I'm an alcoholic. It's what has happened up here. That's not just serious, but absolutely, totally catastrophic, incurable, irreversible. If you've never realized it, you have never been in touch with you, the alcoholic. If the realization of what has happened hasn't made your hair stand up in horror and find you saying to yourself, my God, this is disastrous. You've never taken the first step for real. Now just, just let's have a good look at this. If I am programmed as a result of being allergic to this drug alcohol that my system does not and cannot process normally, whatever that is. What it means is that I am programmed to think unrealistically <clears throat> unrealistically and nonsensically about the only thing it matters to think about realistically and sensibly my own well-being and welfare. Oh, the rest of my brain is functioning magnificently. <laughs> oh, I know all about flying a plane. I know all about brain surgery. I know all about the business exec. I know all about all... You call me and I go, don't be ridiculous. There's one thing you know nothing about but think you know all about what's good for you, what's conducive to your authentic well-being. You are programmed to think self-destructively in all that area and to think your thinking constructively. And there is nothing that could befall you that's more disastrous than that. We're all equipped with radar up here to navigate through life with. And the radar is giving you reverse signals. Giving you a green when it should be giving you a red. Giving you a red when it should be giving you a green. Now if you were on a plane or a ship and the radar playing tricks like that, I don't think you would shrug your shoulders and say, <clears throat> I wonder what's for dinner. <laughs> of course if you're not alcoholic that's exactly what you will be saying <laughs> but this is the situation we're all in and have been and that's that's mind boggling when you think of it how the hell we've survived so far <laughs> it's an ongoing total miracle defies all the rules of nature. 
It's funny, but it's not funny. I hope you take time off this weekend to look at all the proofs that there are in your past to be absolutely dumbfounded about this fact about yourself and about its implications because its implications are (laughs) appalling. If it's once true that I am programmed to think nonsensically about my own well-being, but to think I'm thinking sensibly, I can never think myself out of that way of thinking. Never, never, never! It's exactly like as if you had an old jalopy with the gear shift stuck in reverse. No amount of engaging that engine when the gear shift is stuck in reverse will ever make that car go forward. It will always go back. Every time I engage this thing up here for thinking about what's good for me, what's conducive to my happiness and contentment and feeling good and well-being, Anytime I give my attention to that, engage this engine up here, it will always act contrary-wise. But make me think it's acting forward-wise. I can never think myself out of that self-destructive way of thinking because I think I'm thinking constructively, sensibly. And no one else can help me either. Nobody. Nobody. Anyone who comes along to me to try to talk sense to me about the whole way my life is going because of my drinking. Have any of you ever tried to talk sense to an alcoholic? You know what happens. But why does it happen the way it does? Why do they always say, Oh, look, you don't need to worry about me. You don't, need, you don't understand. I'm okay. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Why? 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 You see, there's a little catch-22 about talking sense to a nonsensical person. Because, you see, sense only makes sense to a sensible person. The moment you present sense to a nonsensical person, it always looks like, sounds like, is perceived by the nonsensical person as nonsense. You're talking nonsense. You don't know what you're talking about. There's only one thing ever makes sense to a nonsensical person. Is there anyone around here who could guess what it is? Sure. Nonsense. Always do. Like saying, oh look, this is getting very boring. Let's call the whole thing off and have another drink. That always makes sense. (laughs) It's funny, yeah. But you have to be sober to see that it's funny. (laughs) 
It's disaster. No human power can relieve our alcoholism. That's not one of your wild, extravagant, rhetorical statements, you know. That's precise, clinical, medical fact. No human power can relieve our alcoholism. You can't do it yourself. And no one else trying to come along to get you to see sense about what's going on. No spouse, no sweetheart, no devoted intimates concerned about you, no shrink, no minister, rabbi, whoever. No human power can relieve our alcohol. I know, you've heard it 40 million times. And so have I. And it just skims across the surface of the mind, leaving not a ripple. That's sad. Terribly sad. And along with 10 million statements like that, in that book. And if you haven't shivered and felt creepy crawly panic coming all through you, not being in touch with what's wrong with you. A disease that it takes God, if there is a God to deal with. Holy Moses, that's one hell of a disease. And you and I have it. Not had it. Have it. We're all convinced we know what's good for us, Simon. Absolutely convinced. You just uh, listen to me as I tell you what it is and put it in front of me. There's another area of ourselves that's affected by this disease, apart from this part of us up here. This part of us down here, away, away inside of us, deep down here. Our power of free choice, our willpower, free will. Power to choose. Like the power of rational thought, this power of free choice differentiates us from the beasts of the field. It's what makes us human. It is what we're talking about when we're talking about spirituality. But we'll come back to that in a moment. Liberty. Freedom. What does it mean? We hear about it all the time, don't we? The land of the free. America. God bless America. The land of the free. What is this thing called freedom? 
free will. What is it? It's the power to say no, even while I'm saying yes. It's the power to say yes, even while I'm saying no. That's liberty. That's freedom. That's not being dominated by any external agency, entity, force. And we don't have it anymore. An addict is a person who can't say no. An addict, an alcoholic, is a person who cannot stop wanting what they cannot stop wanting. And the world is cannot. To make a big fuss and dance in this big book of ours about a thing they call self-will. Any of you guys ever heard of it? Now then, what is this business called self-will? What is it exactly? What is self-will? Well, all it is is wanting what I, myself, want. That's all. Self-will. Wanting and willing what I want. What I will. And what's wrong with wanting what I want? Doesn't everybody? Isn't that what America is all about? This is where you come? A good life? So long as you don't tread on other people's corns? Go for it. This is liberty. This is liberty. Self-will. Wanting what I want. And it's not, a virtue, it's not a virtue according to the big book. It's the root of all our troubles, actually, according to the big book. What's wrong with wanting what I want? And we made that way. We are, we are wanting beings. The minute we popped out of the womb, we were wanting. I wanted my mother's milk. I wanted assurance, I wanted warmth, I wanted comfort, and I squealed and bawled till I got it. If when I was offered my mother's milk, I sat back and said, hmm, no, I won't, I. No, thank you, no, thank you. I wouldn't be here today. We are born wanting. We develop, we grow, precisely by wanting. If we didn't want, we'd wither away on the vine. We have to want to survive. Want food, I want another car, I want... Oh, there's no end to it. It's the thrust behind every single movement I make, every single decision I make, I'm, because I'm wanting, wanting, forever wanting. What the hell is wrong with wanting? You have to want to survive. Well, let's stand back now and have a look at this phenomenon. And think about it. In slow motion, but you do the thinking. As you has got to get in touch with you. 
Now, I'll be the guinea pig. I've wanted. Oh, I've wanted all kinds of things. And I want now you to think realistically about what happens every time a human being, this human being here, wants anything. And the first thing I have to tell you about me is, every time I've ever wanted anything, I either got it or I didn't get it. That has always happened. Am I unique in this? That is. Yeah. Okay. Every time any human being ever wants anything, they either get it or they don't. Now, next step. If I've really wanted it and wanted it and don't get it, what happens then? What do I experience inside myself? Disappointed? Hurt? Unfulfillment, anger, I'm P.O.'d, eh? Fine. Now, we're going to go another step now. I wanted it, whatever it was. Wanted it, wanted it. And this time I got it. And before you tell me what happens now, let me tell you something you might overlook. Every time ever, I've ever gotten what I wanted, it either turned out all it was cracked up to be, or it didn't. <laughs> that always happened. And if it doesn't turn out all it's cracked up to be, what happened? Disappoint? Hurt? I hurt. I hurt. I hurt. Emotionally hurt. Okay, now, another step. I wanted it, wanted it, really wanted it. And this time I got it. And this time, it did turn out all oh, it was cracked up to be. Now what happens? I want more, or I'm afraid that I'm going to lose it. I'm in constant anxiety that I'm going to lose it. So I hurt. In case I might lose it. But if I don't lose it, and it was all it was cracked up to be, what happens? I want? Oh, of course I do. Whether it's sex, or ice cream, or what the hell. I want more. And if I don't get more, what happens? Back at square one. I hurt. This is what's going on in your life and in mine all the time. All the time. We've got to get aware of it. We've got to be to feel the way you feel when you get aware of this. Okay. I've wanted it, whatever it was. Wanted it very much. And I got it. And it turned out all it was cracked up to be. And I wanted more. And I got more. And I wanted more again. And I got more. And I got wanted more and more and got more and more and more till there was no more to rationally want. You can reach saturation point in getting what you want. You really can. 
It's no use having 40 billion chairs. You only have one you know what to put on them. No use having 40 billion. So, this is where we never think this thing through that's going on in us. We always are wanting more if we get what we want. We're wanting more, and when we get more, we want more, and more, and more. And suppose you got it all. Suppose what you're secretly, consciously, or unconsciously hoping will happen, and that you're hurting and grieving because it's not happening. Suppose it happened that you got all the status, the recognition, the money, the goodies, in all areas, and got it all. Now what happens? Hmm? What happens? Well, let me tell you someone about someone to whom it, it, it all did happen. Facts worth more than a million tears. Since I started carrying this little bit of paper around with me, it must be 20 years ago now. This was the richest man in the world 20 years ago. His name was the Sultan of Brunei. And at that time, well, it's less than 30 years, less than 20 years ago. Maybe it's about 10 years ago. This guy was worth, get a load of this, way back then, 45, read my lips, billion dollars. This guy, he was very, very highly educated in Oxford in England. Anyway, he owns the world's largest palace. I thought a Pope owned that. <laughs> he owns fleets of privately owned airplanes. He owns some of the world's top hotels, among them the Beverly Hills Hotel here in California. He lives a life of total opulent luxury. Anything he wants that money can buy, he's got it. And plenty more where that came from. Unlike most people in that kind of a situation, he has a human heart. He's very happily married to a beautiful woman whom he genuinely adores. He has kids that he loves. Needless to say, his wife loves him. Yes, yeah, sure, she does. <laughs> but there he is. He has it all. He's all set up. So he's got to be the happiest man in the world. Well, now listen. Listen to his lifestyle. This guy is no fool. He's not a fool. He knows that he's the target of burglars, kidnappers, terrorists, against whom... He has constantly to guard himself and his family. He's the most haunted, hunted man on the planet. He knows it. He spends his whole life, throughout the year, year after year, flitting from hotel to hotel, all around the globe, incognito, disguised, 
surrounded by all manner of bodyguards, and everywhere he goes, all kinds of electronic stuff laid on. The guy never has a normal night's sleep. He gets up in the middle of the night to go and see his kids are still alive, or still in their bedroom, their bed. This is what happens when you get it all. You're a cockshy for any, any tug out there, a group of tugs. They're only kidding up one or two. And the sky is the limit, what they demand for ransom. This is life. This is reality. This is what happens when you get it all. There's also a thing called boredom. Is this all there is? Did you ever look at any of that series that used to be on, The Rich and the Famous? Perpetually globetrotting, going from bed to bed, experimenting more and more to see what it's like under different circumstances, forever going here and going there, chasing after every manner of diversion and experimentation, ending up exhausted. This is what happens when you get it all. It really is. If your thing is to get to the top of the totem pole, well, just think of what it's like up there. When everybody is plotting every way they know how to get you out of there. Ask Clinton. <laughs> now then, I'm saying an awful simple thing, but it's an awesome thing about you and about me. We are wanting human beings. We cannot not want. And yet, it's by wanting whatever we want that sets us up to hurt. Whether we get what we want or whether we don't. You ask yourself right here, right now, and answer it. When did you last get mad? When did you last grieve? When did you last experience frustration? You are not getting what you wanted, or you were getting what you didn't want. We are wanting beings. We have to want to survive, and it's by wanting that we set ourselves up to hurt whether we get what we want or whether we don't. This is awesome. This is awesome. We're trapped. All, all our troubles are of our own making. We invariably find that at some time in the past, we have made decisions based on self. Oh, I knew, I know what's good for me. I know what makes a good decision for me. I know. We have made decisions based on self. Based on me wanting what I want. We invariably find. We have made decisions based on self which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So all our troubles are of our own making. 
they arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is only an extreme example of what's wrong with everybody. Everybody is stumbling and chasing through life, wanting what they want. But we've wanted what we want maniacally, intensely, insanely. And so we hurt more than the others do. But we're all in the same boat. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. Wanting for me what I want for me. We must be rid of it. We must or it kills us. And so arises the great, great question. How do we stop wanting what we can't stop wanting? And do please listen to the answer. You never get to stop wanting what you can't stop wanting by wanting to. <laughs> Willpower has nothing to do with the problem. That's precisely what we don't have. That's the meaning of an addiction. And we're all addicted to what we want and can't stop wanting. Willpower has nothing whatever to do with it. We can no more will ourselves out of being self-willed then we can think ourselves out of being self-destructive thinkers about our own wellness. And so you have those two parts of us, the two parts of us that are spiritual, and we'll see that later, the two parts of us that are spiritual are affecting each other at compound interest. Why do I want whatever it is I'm wanting? Because I think it's good for me. But why do I think it's good for me? Because I want it. It's not just booze and drugs that can affect this thing up here. If I want something intensely enough, I haven't the slightest difficulty in persuading myself it makes sense to want it. So these two things are aggravating each other at intense degree. So we're tied up, trapped. And what you're going to do about it? That's the first step. We admit it. To our innermost selves, I hope, that because of what alcohol has done to us, we are powerless 
want us even to think of what makes sense for us to do or not. I'm powerless to do it, even if we could even think of what makes sense. And so our lives are totally un unmanageable in every area. The radar we're given to manage our lives with and navigate through life with is given us reverse signals. God, we're in a bad way. And that's where the weekend must start. I hope you go to bed tonight in total despair. <laughs> we'll get nowhere until that happens. This is really true. This is real. There isn't a single syllable of exaggeration in any single thing I've tried to present you with. It's all there. It's all there in the big book. For God's sake. Get away from everybody else. And face your own self as you really are. Don't let other people distract you. Look at the real you. Look at what you're saying about yourself when you're saying, I am an alcoholic. God. It's a problem. A disease that no human power can do anything about. There'll never be a pill or a medication that can relieve alcoholism. Why? Because you cannot cure chemical dependency by chemical dependency. God, will they ever see it? It's because the whole thing is so simple that nobody sees it. Now, of course, we have a new czar to lead us in the fight, the war on drugs. And he's given a a budget of billions. God help them. And it's your money and mine. Shoveling down the drain. And there's where we are. There's where we start. Let's quit, quit the, quit the self-deception. What we're asked to face up to, you don't have to have brains to face up to it. Thanks be to God. And it's because the, the thing is so overwhelmingly self-evident that we can't get that far enough from it to really see it. That's all that's wrong. So do try. Do try. Maybe you never really tried before. Maybe. This is a precious weekend. It's wonderful. There's going to be breakthroughs here. Wonderful breakthroughs. That higher power is going to come crashing through. But you've got to, you've got to be in a state of total, total powerlessness. Because all that has to happen is, when I get in touch with my higher power, in the sense of having something going on in my gut, realizing that he has the power that I lack, realizing it, being touched, by the realization of it. Truly touched. And with the other half of my guts being touched at the realization that I am God-awful powerless. And those two emotional experiences have to collide inside me. Total power colliding with total powerlessness. And there's a struggle. Oh, yeah. 
We can run away, afraid of what will happen, because the eye of power will prevail over powerlessness. That's self-evident. Has to. And we think, oh God, I'm going to be without so much, when all the time they're going to be empowered. Empowered in a way that's mind-boggling and amazing. Face it, guys. Really, really face it. It's going to happen. All we have to do is get in touch with this higher power. Get in touch with the real, real powerlessness. That's the real, real you. And down in there, they fight it out. That's where the battle of Armageddon is fought out. The final struggle between good and evil. Between sense and nonsense. Between constructiveness in living and destructiveness in living. There's where it all happens. That's what all the steps are all about from start to finish. And with God's help, we're going to do it, huh? You and I together. I need to do it. As it so happens right now, I'm taking a fourth step as a guy that had pity on me in the last couple of weeks. I've been in the bag. All kinds of things happened to me. But anyway, we're in it together. And this fellowship brings about things that no human power in the face of this earth can bring about. And it will happen this weekend for us all. We ended up last night on a rather dismal note. Got in touch with what we really need to get in touch with in getting in touch with our own real selves. That we are powerless. This is not exaggerated talk. This is plain, simple, elementary, self-evident fact about ourselves that we don't want to face. We're powerless because this poor brain of ours has been damaged. And we're programmed to think nonsensically and unrealistically about what constitutes our own authentic well-being and welfare. And not alone that, we are programmed to want what we think is good for us. We cannot not want it. And in wanting it and going after it, we set ourselves up to hurt whether we get what we want or whether we don't. So all our troubles that you heard last night are of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. Above everything, says the big book, we alcoholics must be rid of this self-centeredness. We must or it kills us. And now listen to the next sentence. God alone makes this possible. Now there's a bummer, if ever there was a bummer. And so the question arises. If I have difficulties about this God thing, does this mean that there's no way I can be really, honestly, integrated into the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous 
and accepting and fulfilling the program of living of Alcoholics Anonymous. If I have no real conviction that there is such a real, real being as a living God, AA is no place for me. No, it does not mean that. It does not mean that. By the way, I want to backtrack now just a moment before we proceed. We have seen that all our problem is about wanting what we can't stop wanting that turns out always to be destructive of us. Just because it is we that want whatever it is we're wanting. That's what makes it destructive of us. Now, what are we to do about such a situation? Given that I can't stop wanting, I'm a wanting being. I have to want to survive. So, if it's by wanting, whatever it is I'm wanting, that I set myself up to hurt, what in the name of God am I to do? Because I can't stop wanting. No human being can. And that's where I want you to pause and say it to yourself very slowly. It's by wanting whatever it is I can't stop wanting that I set myself up to hurt whether I get what I want or whether I don't. And I cannot not want. So what in the world am I going to do? Notice what it is we should be saying. It's by wanting what I want that sets me up to be hurt. Now, there's one other option that I have, apart from stopping wanting altogether, which I cannot and no human being can do. There's one other option, only one, <laughs> and it's so overwhelmingly self-evident that once again we can't see it given that I can't stop wanting. What is my other option, given that I can't stop wanting what I can't stop wanting? i got to stop wanting what I want and start wanting what someone else wants for me. Then I'm not wanting what I want. And if I live my life wanting what someone else wants for me, then at least I have someone to blame when the whole thing goes wrong. <laughs> but who, who am I to turn to with a view to start wanting what he, she, or it wants for me? Whoever it was that put me together, 
Whoever it is who knows what I'm all about and not all about. Whoever it is who knows what's truly good for me. If there is such an entity, being, influence, whatever, then for God's sake, let's find him or it. And let him or it run our lives. Then my troubles are over. So there's the real problem. Now the big book tells you that we do not have to believe in a living, personal God to have a higher power running our lives. No. Not necessarily a living God. In the chapter of the Agnostic, second page, we're told, the whole purpose for which this book has been written is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself that will solve your problem. 